So you're ready to ask the biggest question of your life, the only question before that question. How do you find the perfect ring to ask it with? With the incredible selection of diamonds at Jared and our price match guarantee, you can dare to stop searching and find the perfect diamond at a price you'll love. Visit your local Jared store today and dare to be devoted. We promise to match any price on a like loose certified diamond of the same quality from any other jewelry retailer. See jared.com slash price match for details. Hello, and welcome to Everyday Connection Now with your hosts, Jean Victoria Norlock and Rick O'Shields, bringing your inner life to your everyday life. Welcome, everybody, to this edition of Everyday Connection Now. I'm Richard O'Shields, and some far distance to my north in the Phoenix Nest, the mountains of Quebec, Jean Victoria Norlock. How are you, Jean? I'm excellent, Rick. Thanks for asking. How are yeah, you? Yeah, because, well, I'm, I'm good. I'm, ac- I'm actually quite good. I'm feeling much better this week, uh, which is a good thing since we are launching some you know, small thing this week on Friday. Some small thing. I actually got to listen to, um, listen to some small thing today, which was very exciting. Our partner in crime over there in the States sent me a link to a certain music feed and uh, got to say, for our listeners who've been following the show for the last two and a half years, have we got a treat for you. Woo! The sound quality is off the chain. It's crazy clear. No bobbles, no fubbles, no messes. It's lovely to listen to. So I'm really excited. CD quality sound. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah, it's absolutely beautiful. Love it. So we won't have the... Uh, the downshift, so um, this show will probably make it out just after we've debuted, but uh, we'll have lots of more information coming on our Facebook page and uh, uh, website about how you can do that. But we're going to be on the new network that our friend Addison in uh, California and I have uh, uh, been working on, and then I got had a little physical challenge, so managed to suck Nikki into the deal, Jean into the deal going to confuse everybody. We're going to go by our real names. I'm going to be Richard instead of Rick, and she's going to be Nikki instead of Jane. Just because we can. And, Absolutely. Uh, uh, but it's going to be a great, great fun live morning show, weekdays, 9 to 11 Eastern, um, on the Flow Cooperative is the name of the new network, and it's just theflowcooperative.com. And there's a Listen Now button, and it'll say on there, ETA to live launch the 14th. And uh, so anything you may hear between now and then, is we, we have to disavow any knowledge of that. We don't, we don't know what. <laughs> I'm going to be practicing, so it could be, hello, hello, Absolutely. hello, hello. Anybody there? Hello? That's just probably our main topic until Friday. We, we, we do, however, have the website up and running, so if anybody is listening to this and wants to go check it out, uh, you get a sneak peek at uh, what the cooperative is all about, how it came to be, and 
a sneak peek at the morning show and what that's going to be all about and all the amazing people who are going to be contributing to the morning show because it's, it's in typical Rick and Jean style or Richard and Nikki style, whichever one you want to say, it's we're not going it alone because <laughs> that'd be silly. We have um, correspondents who are going to be contributing amazing audio pieces and eventually video bits from all over the world. So, And I've heard some of them. They're pretty cool. I have, too. They're very cool. I'm excited. Um, yeah. That's how excited all of our correspondents are. They want to get started, so they're already sending in bits. So we know we'll have no shortage of those. And, uh, and we never have a shortage of things to talk about. We always find something cool to talk about that just happened. And uh, uh, so there will probably be less of our insist- in, in insane, sometimes inane banter on these evening in-depth shows so that we can dedicate all that time to our guests uh, because we're going to be getting on weekday mornings and talking about what's the latest good news. There's no tragedy, you should be scared news. Just the good news and uh, cool reports from our friends. It's going to be a lot of fun. Absolutely. I hope that Hope that everybody can make the transition. And of course it will be recorded and available on an archive so that you don't have to catch it every morning, but you know, there needs Definitely. to be some option to these existing morning, they call them magazine shows or something, but I don't want to read that magazine anymore. It's <laughs> scary. And, you know, as we always say, when you don't like what the system's doing, it... Oh, my. Oh, my bad. It must be for you. Hold on. <clears throat> that could be urgent. The bat phone rarely rings in the Phoenix Nest. But, um, yeah, it we're, does, and I'm sorry. Well, it's, <laughs> How'd that it's, happen? It's quite all right. We, we keep changing what <laughs> night we tape shows, so nobody knows anymore. That's true. Nobody knows what's going on. But as I was going to say, as, as we're always saying, you know, if you don't like the way the system's doing it, instead of fighting against the system, wrestling against the system, and standing outside of the system, pointing your finger and telling them they're wrong, get, get involved. Get into the system. Become part of the system. Be the trim top that changes the course of history. That's it. So we're diving into the morning talk, magazine, news. Uh, we're that. We're going to do that, whatever that is. Yeah. I'm That's sure we'll have something to say. You know us. <laughs> Speaking of something to say, I bet our guest tonight has something to say. I More would, than something. I would think. you something. Lots of stuff. Uh, Indeed. Been at this for more than a week like us, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, workshops and, and tours and books and seminars, uh, just uh, global demand for uh, this young lady's work. So we're really thrilled to have with us tonight Maureen St. Germain. Welcome, Maureen. How are you? I am well. Thank you, and thank you for having me, and congratulations on your new show. Oh, well, thank you. Thank we're, you. We're very excited. It's, it's going to be fun. Yeah. Fun stuff. It's going to be a lot of fun. Absolutely. So, Marine, let's get started because it's a big, tough question. Are you there? Hello, Earth to Jean. <laughs> we lost her. She's on satellite internet up there in the mountains of Quebec. It sometimes happens. Stand by and I'll fetch her back. Hopefully. Skype says there's a problem with this call. Hold on while we try to get the call back. 
she already right there when that happens. <laughs> she already irritates the teenagers in the house because she turns off the Wi-Fi in preparation for the show, and uh, so you know, teenagers with no Wi-Fi—that's like a day without sunshine. Yeah, I know the drill. So we may have had snow or something that's done it, and I can flip to a backup telephone number once Skype's little graphic gets out of the way and allows me the option. It's very cool. All right. Let's see if Skype will ring. If not, we'll get her on the phone. And then I need to put in my notes to edit. Us folks don't usually don't like this part of the show. <laughs> oh, I use Skype so much. <clears throat> it didn't bother me. It's, uh, we have pretty good luck with it most of the time. Um, certainly much better sound quality well, than, than telephone conference. Hello there. Hello. Internet took a vacation, perhaps? It did. Yes, well. Okay, so we'll just have a... A brief pause, and then you go right into the question, and I'll go back and chop this bit out. Okay. It's, uh, my minute is back, though. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. As I tried to call you there, and let me, let's try it. Okay. We'll give it one last shot. If it goes again, we'll, we'll hit the phone. That was an unexpected. Yeah, because I was telling Maureen, if we're going to try this again, and if it goes again, we'll we'll go to the phone, but the phone is not that much yeah. more reliable than the Internet up there, so. No, unfortunately. I haven't had that happen in so long. See, we, should, we need to stop talking about it just in case it happens. <laughs> right, yeah, we maybe should just quit preparing that plan B because it happened. All right, so. Exactly. You were about to, let's get right to it. So let's get right to it and uh, ask the big question of the night. Marie, who on earth are yes. you, darling, and what do you do? Who am I? Who on earth are you, and what do you do? I'm sorry. You're saying it so fast that all I hear is a bunch of words, but I'm not catching <laughs> the precise words. Plus, when you said Maureen, I answered yes on top of your speaking. So I will be silent. Sorry, husband. <laughs> <laughs> who on earth are you, and what do you do? Aha. Well, who on earth am I is from somewhere else, not earth. And what do I do? I help people become their best selves. I started out by um, listening to other teachers and other people and always knowing that that would be my job. And when someone who was really well-known put out a CD that I really liked the content but I didn't like the way the person spoke. I said to my sister, I could do something better than that. And she said, and what's keeping you? Then I recorded the first Angel CD. I also uh, began teaching the Merkaba, the world-renowned uh, guided meditation that comes from the body of knowledge known as the Flower of Life. Uh, I also began working in the Akashic Records, and that is another story. But I knew about the Akashic Records when I was a little girl, and I could see this body of knowledge that anybody could tap into. 
and get information. And it's always been very evident when I opened my mouth, I would know stuff, even though I didn't know I knew. It's very funny. Like a girlfriend called last night, and she said, so how are you? And I said, I'm fine. How's your son? And she said, why do you ask? Because there was something that was up. So um, my job is to help everyone else get what they came to do. Find out what it is and be their best self. In the old days, I kind of joked around. It was like Betty Crocker. You know, I'm providing you the cake mix and you um, put in your own eggs and your own oven and the house smells wonderful and it's uniquely yours. But then it dated me, so I decided I would say I was like Martha Stewart. But then she went to jail. So now I just say I'm just Maureen St. Germain, the practical mystic. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, the, the jail part, we'd love to pass it. <laughs> <clears throat> it's funny how you, you, you try to select somebody and you say, ah, I'd like to be like that, and then they go off the rails. And you're like, oh, never mind. <laughs> Only part of it, really, I, I didn't mean... Um, well, that's amazing. It, it what 1994 uh, are the type of work that we're that we like to highlight and that you do was not maybe quite as in the spotlight as it is now. What what led you to to begin? Uh, was there a, I... a a big life changing incident, or or did you just decide it was time to get to work? There was no, well, there were a couple of things that happened along the way that certainly solidified it. But to be honest, when I was a little girl, I knew I wanted to help people. And growing up Catholic, I thought that the way that was done is being a nun. And, you know, then I discovered boys. But I did, you know, I did spend a tiny little bit of time trying out that lifestyle. And for me, it was always about acquiring knowledge, and then being of service to others who are interested. You know, initially I, I started study groups. I led book study groups. I did all kinds of things to, you know, gather people around and encourage self-exploration. Uh, there were a couple of things that uh, I did behind the scenes quite a bit. There was one, uh, a couple of pivotal events that caused me to honor someone else's past and say, but that's not for me. So there were a few, you know, like stepping out kind of things. And um, in 1994, I, um, I, I had a 25-year marriage end, and I had a lot of crisis going on you know you never make one little crisis there's always like all of them at once and I kept my corporate work I ended up changing jobs but it it simply made it easier for me to move forward because uh, the man I was married to didn't quite get it what I was all about in that regard and he didn't understand that I kept trying to please him while I was still trying to do my other stuff and so once that that was done, then I didn't have to try to please him because he was no longer there. So it freed me up, actually. Um, at the time, I didn't think it was a blessing because I was terrified to um, raise my four sons by myself and 
you know, come up with the money it would take to put them to college and stuff like that. But I was real clear that, that uh, I needed to be doing this kind of thing. So I did. And I traveled and taught in workshops uh, every weekend for years and years and years. Um, I've probably traveled to more cities in America than practically anybody. I've been all over the world actually teaching workshops. On the positive side of that, what that did for me is, I'm sure you guys have this happen, when the question gets asked, then the information flows. And so being in workshops, the questions would be asked and the information would flow. And every single workshop was better than the one before it because the information flowed from week to week. And I would tell them, you know, you're riding on the benefit of the previous workshop because they asked certain kinds of questions and now that's part of my basic information and you'll do the same for the people after you. Well, much amazing insight to have from the beginning. Um, I know some of our first couple of radio shows, there were moments of... Uh, um, uh, mm, uh, <laughs> and they have turned out to be the most glorious learning uh, opportunities, but at the time they felt rather, oh my goodness, can we do this? Well, I was fortunate in that I grew up on a farm. My father felt very strongly about paying us, and even though he only paid us 25 cents an hour, it was more than what he got paid, which was zero. And so we all had, you know, me and my siblings, we all had a good self-confidence. We had a good self-sense of worth. And my father encouraged us to speak our truth. Uh, many a time we were told, well, prove it. And we'd get up from the table and pull out the encyclopedia and, you know, look up something to prove our point. And so it taught us that all ideas were open for discussion. And it taught us that a little research could improve it. And because of the strong work ethic, you know, we never really lacked for self-confidence. I'm very fortunate in that regard. I will tell you, I was terrified to write a book. And initially when I knew I needed to write a book and wanted to write a book, I, I thought, well, let me teach a workshop about it, and then the book, the book will write itself. Ah. So, and that makes sense. Yes. Yeah. So that, that worked great because I was really good. I mean, I was, you know, in sales for a lot of different kinds of positions, you know, in a lot of different ways I was expected to do a certain kind of sales. And uh, I was good in, in, the, in the presentation part. And so as I would present workshops, more and more information that I knew that I knew, but I didn't remember till I had an audience. So for me, the audience, like, brought it all alive. So... Uh, I can underst I can understand that because I have yeah. um, many things dating all the way back to high school that if you asked me I would tell you I didn't know that because I hadn't studied it. But th then they'd put me in a room with a standardized test and I knew it, even if I had never studied it. And uh, it took me some thirty years to put that together with something, but uh, it. it was my introduction to the fact that the information is there and it can just flow on its own. As yeah. long as you quit saying, I don't know that. 
yes. seems when I would lead in yes. with that, it wasn't the way to go. Yes, but the other thing that I noticed, even in the beginning of our call when we were just prepping and you know, just chatting and doing sound and things, you made a couple of very funny remarks, and they would not have been funny if you were just trying to do it as a monologue, but because there was conversation going, it just falls out of you, and it's it's fun. So that too implies the presence of an audience. And for me personally, I you know when I was a little girl, there was a uh, private the private school that we went to, a little tiny Catholic school, had about 800 students, and all the kids were on the church parking lot when we had recess. And then when recess was over, they would ring a bell and everybody would go up this set of stairs, only one entrance that they wanted you to go through. So it was like if you were standing from the furthest point in the playground, it was like a whole bunch of ants were trying to get into this building. And I remember thinking it was like a vacuum cleaner. It was just scooping up all the kids. And that's in a way kind of like us. You know, We need the audience to make what we're doing real. Otherwise, it, it, it doesn't count. And it does count, but it doesn't count. You know, it's like that old forest and the trees thing. There's a lot of well, give and take with regards to the the energetics between people, too. And as oftentimes we've had so many experiences on the show where either Rick and I are, are just sick or we've had a bad day and our energy is really low and we'll meet quickly before the show and we'll just be like... And then as soon as the guest comes on, it it totally switches. It's like mm-hmm. something switches on inside of us, and it's like, boom, okay, we're on the air, let's go. Yes, well, that's because you're tapping in to that reservoir that stands for the work you do, and the the guest is the conduit of it. You know, it's interesting, though, when you talk about interactions with other people, one of the things that I found that I did quite naturally that I had, again, in hindsight, recognition of what was going on, but in the moment I didn't. When we were growing up, my dad always said, um, we'd say, you know, all the kids are doing such and such, and he he didn't want us to do something. And so he would say, well, not everyone is doing it because you're not doing it, and you're special. Now, the, the not, everyone's not doing it because you're not doing it, you know, because we always split hair, so we were all familiar with that comment. But then to make us special, it it kind of made it hard to want to argue with him. And what I realized it was doing is making us validated. So many times people say stuff to us that then takes the wind out of our sails and slows us down and creates issues, you know, and that, those phrases that other people make are actually um, what I call the language of self-talk that we end up replaying over and over. So, you know, if you, if you say I don't have enough of whatever, money or time or whatever, it always then reverberates and keeps you from moving forward. So it's like what Rick said before, you know, when I stopped saying I don't know, the information just flowed because you did have access and you did know. So I, in, in, in my um, book that I wrote about, that took, I wrote it actually the first part of it 20 years ago, and then little by little, I, um, I, had, a, I had a contract for this book, actually. <laughs> it's a whole other story, but let me finish this part first and say that 
one of the things I point out in the book is that if you can notice your self-talk and then rewrite it and teach yourself to use that self-talk instead of the one you've been using. So if I never becomes I easily and life is a struggle becomes life flows easily, I am the flow. Or if I say, you know, I get lost at it all the time, or you could say, I used to get lost all the time, but now I find my way. So 20 years ago, when I started working on this material, I had so many snafus. I will never forget the time that I came down to the family room, and one of my boys, who was particularly clever with computers, had my big computer in pieces uh, in front of the big picture window. And I look at that, and I think to myself, gee, I wonder what's going on. So I woke him up, and uh, I said, uh, do you know why my computer's sitting on the floor in pieces? And he said, oh, I had to load the new windows on your computer. I wanted to surprise you. And I said, well, that was really sweet of you. What happened? He said, it crashed your computer. You have to replace it. And I said, "Um, did you know my book that I've been working on is on that computer, and that's the only copy? You know, and then of course it's like, <laughs> you know, fifteen-year-old. What are you going to do, right? And I took it in, and I said, okay, it must mean it needs to be better. And then uh, I signed a three-book deal with a major publisher, the same people who did Conversations with God, and um, they were signing a big um, project with a bunch of investors who were coming in, and I submitted my um, manuscripts. And they had them, and they kept telling me my money was coming. And after six months, they called to tell me that they had decided to let my project go. It took me three years to get the contract back. And, you know, during the first year, I, like, didn't focus on it. I focused on the other two books that were kind of coming up front. And then I, um, I finally got the rights back because a friend of mine who is a very big seller, uh, said to me, Maureen, what you do is you write them and say, look, that they owe you for the, for the uh, uh, cash advance for the um, signing, and then they owe you for wear and tear, and they owe you for this and that, and it added up to a lot of money. So, um, and you just say, you know, look, you need to, you need to pay me that, um, and then you can negotiate it if you want to let, you know, you know, settle for less. So I thought about it, and I thought, you know, what I really want is my rights back. I don't need to take these guys to the cleaners. They really did sign with me in good faith, and they really did let me go in good faith. They didn't really, you know, wasn't it, I didn't tell it was a dirty, it was a dirty deal in some respects, but maybe the universe was making me better. So I sent them the letter and said, look, um, you know, it's been a couple of years. I've asked a number of times about giving the rights back. Everybody says it doesn't matter. But if you guys ever get sold or go on with somebody else and my book is a success, I, I'm i going to be in trouble. So, um, you know, you owe me, you know, $6,000 for the advance. The contract says you owe me plus probably another six or $7,000 in, in uh, duress. So, you know, I figure we're up to about 15000 and I would be happy to waive my rights to that money if you would be so kind as to um, respond to me within the next 10 days and release the book. I got an overnight package from them. 
And then I was free to release it, but by that time I was convinced that I did do, and so I did another rewrite. I mean, you know, this book, this newest book that I've just come out with, Biaccini, it's probably been rewritten 30 or 40 times. And any of your listeners who you're working on a book, if you get turned down, you say to yourself, you know what? It just means it's not good enough yet. And I can do rewrites. I can work on my next book. You can do lots of things while you're waiting for your first book to be published. And in my case, my second book became a bestseller. And so my first book, it's going to be a lot easier to make that a bestseller for two reasons. Number one, it's a whole lot better of a book than it was. And it's actually the third book because there's another book that's selling very well. But the other reason is if you recognize that you have an opportunity coming towards you if the solution you thought was going to work and it doesn't. It just means a better one is on the way. As a matter of fact, that's what the whole book is about. Um, And I'll give you an example. When one of my kids was growing up, he loved my car. I had a stick shift and it was one of the um, uh, Toyota Corollas, the, the bigger ones from, you know, quite a few years ago before they started downsizing them. And he loved this car. It was maneuverable. It had stick shifts. So you could really, you know, get some get up and go. And he always said he wanted my car when he was old enough to have his own car. Well, once he was old enough to have his own car, because I was always flying to work, I wasn't using my car that much, and I didn't see any reason to replace an older car because it still had lots of uh, good miles on it. So I never, I didn't sell it for another four or five years. So he told his dad, can you get me a car like mom's? So they waited, and his father looked on the Internet and saw a car that was exactly like my car, except that it was a, it was a automatic transmission instead of a standard. And his father said, well, do you want to get it? And he, you know, because it's not exactly what you wanted. And he thought about it, and he said, well, I've waited long enough. I think I'll go ahead and get it. The following week, the car of his dreams came on. His dad bought that one, too, and said, which one do you want? And... Uh, my son said, you, you keep the, the second car because I know you want that car. Uh, and you'll take whatever I don't take, and so I want you to have the newer car, which was very sweet. But over and over, one of the things in the genie system is understanding this whole technology of mathematics and then seeing how it relates to manifestation. And then once you get that in your brain, then there's no more takeaways. We all the time you know, say we want such and such, and then we do a takeaway. And what the system does is teaches you the mathematical formula behind manifestation that's based on sacred geometry. And it's so powerful that once you get it, you, you really get it. And it's just, you realize it's just a matter of staying power and staying with it. So it's a very, uh, it's a very interesting thing But every time we let go of a dream because it didn't come in the way we wanted it and we're not going to settle, we actually move closer to the outcome we were seeking. As long as we don't seed that energy with grief as part of the formula. I have lots of examples. So this... Would you mind sharing one? Sure. Um... Everybody knows about noise-canceling phone headphones, or most people have heard about them, and they've been around for over 30 years, and the military has probably had them 
um, longer than that. But when I first heard about them, I thought to myself, there is no way you can erase a sound. And I knew in my consciousness that if a sound went out, it was gone. It was already out there. You couldn't undo it. So I knew that noise-canceling headphones could not cancel a future sound. But here's what the technology is based on. They take a sound that is replicatable and usually obnoxious like a jet engine or a lawnmower. That sound is the same sound over and over. It makes a certain wave. And they produce the opposite wave with their technology. So first they get the sound captured. And then they produce the opposite sound and pair it perfectly so that the wave collapses. When the wave collapses, the sound ceases to be heard, ceases to exist. But they're not erasing something that is unknown. They're erasing the repeated sound that they're expecting to be sounded. So what if you could do that with with your technology in your mind? So people often think negative thoughts. And when I was in college, I had a lot of negative thoughts because I was in a situation that I was very unhappy about. And you know, a lot of in college a lot of times it's very easy to commiserate, you know, the food's bad, I don't like this prof, you know, this sucks, whatever. You know, people in that age category, you know, you tend to do that. And I appealed to my angels and guides even then, and I said, you know, I need some help here. I am so unhappy, and I don't want to be unhappy, but I need some help. And they said to practice two first. And what they wanted me to do was for every negative thought I had, I must follow it with two positives. So if I didn't like this place because it was an all-girls school, then I uh, I did like it because I didn't have to didn't bother with makeup or you know dress up clothes or anything going to school and I didn't uh, I could study all week and party all weekend those were my two positives and I made a contract with myself that no matter how many times I had a negative thought or a negative statement that I would follow it with two positives now this gets pretty funny because I was a transfer student in and I'm pretty quickly agreeing with everybody on everything, but then I'm always adding my two cents of these extra two statements because that's my contract with my angels. <clears throat> and pretty soon the director of admissions hears about me and comes to me and says to me, I want you to lead the prospective students on tours. And I remember telling my mother, and she said, talk about the blind leading the blind. <laughs> so, so the process is called twofers, and it's, it was long before there were ever the pizza things that were twofers, okay? So twofers are a way, and it, it, another way to look at it is, you know, what if everyone loves chocolate, or practically everyone loves chocolate, unless you're allergic to it, and chocolate is a way to have self-love, to self-validate. So when you have chocolate, it feels good, but then you wonder, well, maybe I should have another, or maybe you have a whole lot of chocolate and you should have only had one piece, who knows? What if you could follow every piece of chocolate with two anti-chocolates to antidote all the negative effects of the chocolate? Wouldn't that be fun? And that's what you can do with twofers with your negative thoughts. But here's what happens. The population of negative thoughts is now cut down by by two-thirds. So it's only one-third negative thoughts and two-thirds positive. 
And the first positive cancels out the negative. And then the second positive is the new seed. And that's what the universe gets, is the message of the new seed thought. And that's why it's such a powerful tool for manifestation. And so simple and straightforward. It's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, and it's funny because when you tie it to the noise-canceling headphones, it makes so much sense. Absolutely. We've got all these complex processes out there. Just go for twofers. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. You know, and the other thing I tell people when I, t- I teach people how to make movies in their mind, and the movies are the after event. They're not the event that you want to happen, but the, it's a, an event, a movie, of what happens now that you've arrived. So if you want to be a movie star, you see yourself signing autographs or seeing your name in the sidewalk. I mean, it's something that's, that shows you you succeeded at that, you know, and you're going to be able to do that. <clears throat> so in one of my workshops, a man um, a man stood up, and there were like 100 people, and they were recording it, and he said he wanted to work for the Miami Dolphins in, in, uh, in their press room or as a publicity person. And I said, okay, who are you going to tell? Who, who is the person that you're going to tell this to to make it real? And that's one of the tools in the genie system. I have discovered that it isn't enough to think positive thoughts. It isn't enough to have positive emotions. What you need to bring it into this reality is a conversation that proves to the mind that it's real. Because the mind can tell when something is real or not real if that you make it real. So like in the movies, you know, you suspend disbelief, and then when they shoot a gun, you jump because it feels real in that moment. The mind thinks it's real. So when you're just postulating about an idea or what your, you know, your dream is, it's out there somewhere. But if I'm telling you, hey, you know, I saw my name on the sidewalk, you know, and my, my footprints, it was so cool. And to have that conversation, it makes it real that that actually occurred. And if that occurred, it must also be true then that I was a successful movie star. So this man stands up and he wants to work for the Dolphins. And I say to him, I'll play, I'll role play with your, you, and I'll be your mom since she's the person you're going to tell the story to and you're going to hear her reaction. And, um, you know, we'll just start. Is that okay? And he said, sure. And then he, there's this big long pause and I said, what's wrong? And he said, well, you're recording it. And I, I looked at him and because of my gift, I said, well, clean up the language and then go ahead and say it. So he said, okay, mom, I'm working for the effing dolphins. And so I said, okay, and what does your mom say back? No effing way. And the whole audience just burst out laughing. And I said, does your mother talk that way? And he said, oh, yeah. And I said, then that's your movie because it's real. (laughs) So... One of the things that I teach people uh, uh, in the genie system is to use this concept of making a movie after you've acquired or achieved whatever it is you're trying to manifest. And in the early years, what I would do is I would pretend that I would hear someone call me on the phone and thank me for the words of wisdom because it really helped them. 
And I didn't know at what form it would take, whether I would be a author or a teacher. wasn't sure what form it would take. But I knew that I would hear words of gratitude. And if I was hearing words of gratitude, it had to mean that I was succeeding at what I came to do. So what's your dream? You want to play? I'm sure we can play. What's your dream, Jane? Oh, I like how you just pass. hey drink don't don't miss this one you got the you got she the usually the mic. She, she, she usually throws me under the, the bus there, so yeah because yeah, usually she's talking more than I am and uh, but often with authors she kind of sits back a little because she starts talking about her book and we don't want to make it about her book but I'll play uh, I want to be a um, um, nationally and internationally successful media network head, like in charge of a media network, new media network. So so does that mean you don't want to be on the radio? Oh, yeah, going to be on the radio too. So, so you're going to be on the radio as well as in charge of the network. Yeah, but I want the show to be a, a, a national and international success. And I would define that as lots of listeners and sponsors. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay. So, but does that require you to be the media head? Could someone else be the head, and you just be the star? Oh yeah, absolutely. Somebody else. I, I'm. I, that could be true. I don't know. Yeah. We're doing both. Well, the reason I asked the more important to me is the show. Exactly. Uh, That's where we're going. We want to know the most important. Thing. Yeah. It's the so show. In your case being a media head isn't nearly as important as the show being successful because it means you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. Right. Now, okay. Now we're getting So it. now that you are, play with me, okay? Now that you are running a highly successful syndicated show, what's new and different? Think about that. And then you're going to have a conversation with someone who's important to you either then or now, who would that be? You have to give that person a name, even if you want to you know, substitute the name, but you know who that person is. Let's do my father. Name. Okay, my, my dad. Father. So you call him dad? I call him dad. Okay. So you have this conversation with your dad. Is he living now? He is. And he's in good health? Mm, not really. <laughs> he might not be around, I don't know. It's been yeah, well, you have to months. think about this for a minute. Um, if, if, I mean, you know, a person's dad could die like my sister did in a car crash, so there's no telling when people are going to go. But what I don't want you to do is pick somebody that you know has got terminal cancer and maybe has a few weeks left to live or something like that. So as long as you're cool that, that he's going to be around for a while, uh, then have the conversation with your dad anyway. So regardless of whether your father is living or not, let's just play with that. And you're going to have this conversation with your dad. Is it in person or on the phone? On the phone. And who speaks first, you or your dad? Um, Well, I'm sure he would ask me how it's going. Okay, so he speaks first and he says, how's it going? And what do you say? I say, well, it's uh, it's really amazing, Dad. We've uh, finally cracked 100,000 listeners and uh, uh, the show is just really a... uh, uh, super successful. Okay. Now I'm going to keep playing with you and say, 
there are some highly successful radio shows that have three million listeners. That's true, but in our in our genre, this is a really excellent number, and uh, our growth rate is uh, has been exponential. And I don't see any signs of that slowing down. But that was my that was my we made it number. And uh, okay, and well we then, if that's it. your we made it number, then that's cool. Okay, so we made it. Um, now you've had it for a while, so it's not like it just happened yesterday. You've had it for a while. And he says, how's it going? And you say, ever since, or something that implies that it's been out there for a while. Do you see? Ah, yeah. Okay, so tell me what you say. We're scripting here. Well, ever since we, we shifted to the morning show, it's it's just been a rocket ride. It, it's almost like autopilot. They just keep coming. And uh, uh, so it's been a tremendous amount of fun. You've now added another piece to that. You know, I'll tell you what this Being is fun. like. And, and please play with me. Okay. Um, when a woman wants to get married, and then she said, ever since we had our first child, and you want to say, that's not part of this manifestation, that's a separate one. So you could make it really big on this network you're on right now. Are you going to drop this network and only do the other network? Or are you going to do both? Well, we're going to do both right at first. And your goal is to drop the current one and then somewhere along the line be only on one show? Um, no, we'll still have both shows, but we'll be on a different network. Okay. Well, I'm not trying to, um, you know, like leak important information here. What I'm no, really no. trying to do is help <clears throat> you define something. And so what you're doing is limiting your growth to that show, and it could happen let me give you a scenario so you can stay with me. And this is the problem that people have. And if if um, uh, Jean were in the hot seat right now, she'd be doing the same thing that I'm doing with you. So we'll go next. <laughs> great. Okay, so what we're dealing with here is you've added another layer to it, which then forces the universe to match that first. What if somebody with a really big network and a really big capacity and lots of resources has, you know, some epiphany of sorts and hears your show, realizes you've been out there a long time and you run a great show and you're fun to listen to and you're, you know, you're great at what you do and decides he wants you on his well-established system that's automatically going to put you three times bigger than you could have ever done on what you're currently doing. That would be another way to achieve that outcome. Do you see? Sure. You don't have to have the way known. More importantly, you have to know that you've already achieved it, and the universe will fill in the way for you. And the universe will take care of roadblocks, bridge being out, and all kinds of other stuff that you didn't know about. So in your case, in your case, the goal of widely acceptable uh, numbers at that 100,000 mark is, is still a great goal, but then you don't have to say ever since we did the morning show. Instead, it would be ever since we hit my first marker. We've continued to grow exponentially, and I'm so grateful. Because when you hit that mark and you realize, oh, wow, this is it, we've made it, 
And it's that energy of, oh my gosh, now I have to sustain it. The energy is different because you realize you're no longer pushing a mountain uphill the same way you were before. So imagine a conversation. We'll do this one more time. And you say, your dad say, how's it going? And you say, ever since, fill in the blank. Ever since we, we hit that first goal, uh, it's just been magic. It's it, it just like it goes forward on its own and takes care of itself. It's it's really been fantastic. And what did your father say? At the, well, at, I don't think it would be good, but <laughs> he wouldn't want to know if I was getting paid. So are you getting paid? Okay to, yeah, that's okay. It's perfect. That makes it real, doesn't it? It's like the no F and way realness, you see? Right. And when he says, are that's you getting what he would paid? Ask. Okay, so are you getting paid? Absolutely. We've got new sponsors coming on almost every day. It's, uh, uh, and you could the, say, we're all getting well paid, Dad. Yeah, everybody involved. Our producer and, that's, and Gene that's, and I. Gene wants to get paid. <laughs> I love getting paid. So that when he when you answer that question, are you getting paid? And you can hear your dad asking that question because he's probably asked it a hundred times before. You can hear yourself say yes. And then what happens? What does he say? Well, his whole persona changes, and he's like, "Well, that's a that's a great thing." So tell me. Okay. Okay. Tell okay. Me more. Don't analyze it. Just. Say what he would say. Give me the script. You say, well, that's wonderful. Tell me, tell me more about that. How did you do that? All right. And it's at that point that your subconscious gets it that it's real. Because until your dad says, are you getting paid, and you can say yes, the rest is history. So, I don't. So that's your movie. And that's, you, you've put in that script. Now, here's the interesting thing that happens. You play that movie over and over in your brain every time it comes up in your thoughts. Every time, even if it's 30 or 40 times a day, what will happen is you'll forget to make the movie over time because it's already well underway. Another thing that can happen is you'll be in that reverie. Maybe you're stuck in traffic somewhere and you are sitting there running that movie in your head and you hear your dad ask, you getting paid? And you go, yeah, as a matter of fact, I am. In fact, I was thinking about buying you a new car because I think you've been driving a car. I mean, there's all kinds of fun things that can happen after that. But what, what will take your socks off and throw them in the air is when you hear your father or you say something that you did not script. And when that happens, you know that the universe has got all the details covered. And when that happens, even your conscious mind goes, Whoa, that is so cool. It'll yeah. shift you. So practice hearing him you know, question you or challenge you like he does. He's worried about you making money. And for you to say, oh, yeah, yeah I've, been, I've been getting paid for a couple of years now. You didn't know that? Or you know, some fun thing. I don't know. But right. each time you're going to hear yourself say something uh, even stronger and stronger in such a way that your subconscious is going to magnetize that to you with grace and ease. It's awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Yeah, and, and fun and easy. 
Mm-hmm. And fun and easy. And I will tell you, when I was terrified that I wouldn't be able to make tuition for my son, I had agreed to pay $10,000 a year tuition for a uh, highly regarded um, East Coast school. And my son had $30,000 worth of scholarships, and I had to cover the last ten grand. Uh, I had to come up with $5,000 every semester, and the first semester was so awful and so scary and so pins and needles that at the end of it, when I finally wrote the last check, I thought to myself, I do not want to do this, you know, six or seven more times. I've got to find a way to cover up, come up with the whole, you know, the whole shebang. Because I, I, it's too stressful to try and come up with this in little bits and pieces. So I kept trying to think of an image of what I could use. The first image I came up with was money, but I was so terrified, I couldn't imagine having 40 grand in my checking account because I only had maybe an extra two or three hundred dollars at a time not four grand not 40 grand how could i even imagine that so that went, that image wasn't any good and then i settled on the idea of my son in a cap and gown but when i tried to visualize it it seems like a fairly normal thing to be able to visualize i couldn't do it i was so afraid that my mind wouldn't even let me hold it so i got a picture from his high school graduation and i put it on my desk at work and i would look at that picture sometimes three or four 30 or 40 times a day, and whenever I was terrified that I wouldn't be able to make ends meet, much less make that tuition payment, I would look at that picture and I would pretend I was talking to him at his graduation ceremony, and I said two things. First one was, you know there were some scary moments. And the second thing I said was, it wasn't that hard. Now, one of the things in the genie system is when you know that you're in big trouble and and like the odds are stacked against you, you cannot deny that you're terrified. Because if you deny where you're at, you're going to get more of it because that's all you're doing is spending all your energy trying to push back what's already so obvious. So I validated it by saying there were some scary moments. And that's all I was aware of at that point. But I was sure that if I could say it wasn't that hard, then I would be able to produce that. And I did. And the money often came in in big chunks to cover the tuition. It was pretty amazing. But that's the only manifestation I did was that mental movie. There were some scary moments, but it wasn't that hard. And there were all kinds of cool stories along the way on on what happened or how it happened. Um, But to stand there in front of my son with a cap and gown and say it, I was practically crying. Well, I can only imagine. It, yeah, because you can't go through graduation if you haven't paid your bill. That's right. No walking across the stage. Owing the money. <laughs> That's very cool. That's a wonderful story. Thank you. And um, and it can work that way. I, a person and a friend in my life who uh, has been having some difficulty lately, but for 18 years, things just always worked out, sometimes at the last minute, but always worked out. And she had this in her mind that she had been told by God, in her case, or, you know, source, that she had been told that she, her daughter was going to graduate high school and that everything was going to be fine. And, and she put her through private school. And, and, you know, people would look at her income and say, you don't have any business putting your daughter in private school. And she said, yeah, but she's smart. She deserves it. And, 
and it's going to be all right. I just know it's going to be all right. And things always worked out. And then she got this idea of what am I going to do now? And things started going six ways from Sunday. And I told her, I said, you never should have let go of the everything's fine. <laughs> well, and here's what I will say to you. I had a similar experience. After I, you know, did all, you know, I was like the mama bear, you know, for the for my kids. What I realized when I went to the altar and I said, how come I have to do this money thing all over again? And what I was told was the first time you did it for your children. Now you must say that you're worthy enough. And do you believe in you as much as you believed in your son? And so the message to your friend is God's asking you, do you believe in you as much as you believed in your daughter? And all she has to do is say, heck yeah. And everything will shift again. And that's all I had to do. But, it, that, you awesome. know, things went awesome pretty stuff. haywire after that same drill. Yeah, yeah, same thing. Well, you know, it's very cool. When you commit, yeah, when you, when you uh, what do you call it, um, fulfill a mission, you have to take time to enjoy it, and then you have to move right back into a new mission. And if you don't, then you miss that opportunity. And so that's when you figure that out. Things just kind of spin around a bit. I've had that experience myself, the spinning about. Yeah. Um, well, that brings us to our midway point. Uh, awesome little movie. So perhaps uh, Jean's movie when we return from a book. That'd be a blast. I'm sure it's a blast. And Jane, you got extra bonus here because you got time to think about it. <laughs> yeah, you yeah, get to be prepared. <laughs> so, gracious. Jane, uh, she's a miracle walking, or uh, I think that might be appropriate in this case. Don't yeah, you? we're talking about Jean. Be a miracle walking. She's a miracle walking from our dear friend Ina V, and uh, we'll be right back with Jean's movie. So stay with us, folks.
Welcome back, everybody. Again, that was our dear friend Ina V with her song, She's a Miracle Walking. And uh, so definitely get by and visit over at enav.com. That's E-N-A-V-I-E.com. And uh, check out some of the other wonderful music and the Earth Prayer Project, which is a great philanthropic deal they're doing with uh, proceeds from another one of our favorite songs of hers. We like Earth Prayer. Yes, we do. Yes. We like it a lot. Well, we like Anna V a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she's very cool. We just like it. Yes, she is. How do you spell Anna V? It's E-N-A and then V-I-E. Anna V. Or Anna V. And uh, some very, very uh, heartfelt music that, uh, well... On a live show, if I had just played some of Enemy's music, particularly had I played Earth Prayer, we'd we'd be trying to bring Jean back out of her reverie. <clears throat> she she <laughs> goes away when that song plays. Cool. One day you're going to have to tell us where you go, Jean. <laughs> well, it changes depending on my mood. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we were going to uh, let you have a turn at the genie, being a genie. That was really excellent insights uh, in my conversation and movie. So, Jean, what is your heart's desire? I want to travel around the world and talk to cool people and get paid to do it. Okay. So think about how your life would be different. Uh, do you have any family or pets that you look after now? I do. So they're either well provided for or they have new homes. Some sort of solution is um, Actually, we have one dog who is a senior and I hate to put time constraints on this, but this is a five-year goal. This is what I want to do in five years. Okay. I'm going to say right. that. And After five years. I, the next five years, I'd like to... I heard we, and then I heard I. So I want to know what's we. the deal on that. Say it again? No, we. I heard you refer to yourself as we, and I also yep. heard you refer to yourself as I, and I'm asking if you're a single or a plural. Um, I'm a plural. I would love to ultimately... My ultimate vision is our collective vision, actually, is for my husband to be able to travel with me and for us to be able to take our last dog with us. The youngest one. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Very good. All right. Well, that's real straightforward then because well, sometimes we deliberately have barriers until those other things are handled. So you might even say that you have the last dog and we had a good life with the other doggy and... Um, he left when it was when it was his time, and everything's cool. Absolutely. Okay. So now you are doing that very thing. What is new and different? Don't name it yet. Just think about it. And then who are you going to have this conversation with? Think about that. And then I'm going to start asking you questions. So you've already arrived at this place where you're already traveling all the time and talking to people. What 
you're going to be in a conversation with someone. Who is it with? My brother. Okay. It could be your husband, too, if he's going to travel with you. Okay? And your husband's not opposed no, it, to this, right? Oh, no. My bro- my husband is right into this, actually. Yeah. And, and so t- if, I don't know if it'll help. It. Yeah. Well, oh, he, here's, yeah, it, doesn't, he it doesn't, doesn't hold you back to have the conversation with him in your mind's eye, especially if he's a party to this event and even more so if he's enthusiastic about this dream of yours. Yes, I know that, but um, I I, I think that my brother. brother would really appreciate, yeah, because he'd really appreciate that phone call. Okay, very good. So you see it as a phone call, and um, yeah. as a phone call, you've already arrived at this place, and you're calling to check in to see how he's doing or whatever, whatever your reason to call is. Who speaks first? Uh, he'd probably just say, hey, what's up? And what do you say? I would say, well, you remember that cool trip to the Philippines um, when I wrote my first book and then we started working on a movie? Well, now I get paid to do that all the time and it's awesome. And he'd be like, no way. And I'd be like, yes way. So do you think that the, do you think for a moment that you would have not told him you're getting paid for this work? You've already been successful for a while. He wouldn't have known that. Uh, my brother and I can go for six months without talking. So okay, it's quite possible. Perfect, yeah, that's very possible. Okay, good. You see how I'm pushing the limits to make sure it's believable? Yeah. yeah. Okay, no, and that's we, for our we, audience sake too, so that's excellent. Okay, that's perfect. And some families are like that. I think one of my siblings is like that too. He, you know, it, it's chummy as could be when we're together, but we could go for a while without talking and it wouldn't be any big deal. Okay, so you're on the phone with him, and so then he's going to say, well, where are you? And you can say, oh, some exotic place. You don't even have to name it. Do you see? So go with your version of that. What would he say? What would you say? I'm just giving you a few little ideas. Hello? Would he ask you? Uh-oh. Where are you? Did we lose her? We would ask where, where she is. Pivotal moment. This, <laughs> yeah. Could you pick a moment that wasn't just like the central theme? <laughs> oh. We're watching a movie and the film stops. <laughs> somebody called the projectionist. <laughs> yeah, somebody called the projectionist. He's taking a break and he's not even in the room where he's supposed to be watching the film with us. <laughs> so crazy. And she bailed on us. Now, we can write that into her script. Yeah. We can put that the disconnection failed. And when she comes back, we're going to add that to her script. So, you're going to call her now? Is that what you're going to yeah, do? Yeah, I'm trying to um, trying to find her again. <laughs> but that's that'll be an make for an interesting uh twist. But it makes it real, doesn't it? Absolutely. Here we go. We'll even be on the phone phone. <laughs> See? Ringing and everything. Ah. Hi. <laughs> so we have decided yes. that this is part of your script, that the phone goes dead when your brother says, where are you? And cool. you finally get him back. 
and you say something, whatever you say. So now I'm going to ask you to run this by me again. I've given you a bunch of uh, props for your movie of the mind. So you can make it however you want and use the props or not. Um, so let's go back. He says, way to go, like he would. And then what else does he say to you before you say something? Um, where are you? What are you doing? Where's Pascal? Is he with you? Yeah. And what what do you say back? Um, I, I'm in Rome. <laughs> I'm in Rome because... I've been invited to go speak to Pope Francis. And um Okay, now I'm gonna stop you. This is like yeah. the woman who wants to be married, she's adding a baby. Okay. <laughs> Get it? Okay. You can do that, but I would you know, I would make a short list of all the cities you want to go to and make that one manifestation. Oh, I've been to Rome, I've been here, I've been there, like that. Make that okay. a movie. Where you're actually okay. having a conversation with your brother, and saying, oh, yeah, you know, I went here, I went there, and list all the cities you want to make sure you have on your bucket list. But in the moment, it's useful to not necessarily name the city unless you are absolutely certain that's the city you would call him from for some particular reason. But again, you start adding something like the Pope, and you add another layer of manifestation, making it longer or harder for it to manifest. You see? It doesn't mean you can't manifest the trip... Maybe even let me suggest a perhaps some place where the phone connections have a trouble now and again. That could be the know, U.S. The, the Philippines. <laughs> the, yeah, it could be the U.S. and Canada. But um. well, in any event, what I'm trying to help you do is, and this again is for the benefit of our listeners, when we add too many pieces to the puzzle the mind starts to say, oh, that's never going to happen. Whereas if you just say, I'm calling you from this exotic place and you know, name some feature that you really like, has a beautiful park or whatever, without naming the city, because then you can be calling him from your fifth trip out instead of your 50th. Okay. Okay, I'm... so let's go back. He okay. says, way to go. I, that is so cool. Where are you? I am back at the rice terraces in the Philippines. And You're where? Back at the rice terraces in the Philippines. Oh. Yeah, and we we just got in from Indonesia, which is really exciting. And uh, when we're done here, we're on our way to Australia. Oh. And what does he say? Have you seen the kids? <laughs> How are they doing? And you say? Yes, I got to spend an amazing weekend with them. And because everyone's fine. Yes, and everybody's doing great. Awesome. All right, that's all you have to do. You keep running that movie. And what will start to happen is it will congeal in a way that will surprise you. And when you get surprised by the conversation, that's when you know the universe is already, it's like the kitchen has now started to work on your meal. And it's going to be delivered pretty soon. It's a very cool environment. It's a very cool feeling. And you always stay in that place of how you feel when he gets the shock 
that, oh, my God, you're calling me from where? Oh, wow. And it's that shock. And you hear how you giggled? That's exactly what will happen every single time. And that giggle, that authentic joy giggle that came from you tell, is a signal in your mind that makes it real. And if your mind thinks it's real, your mind will manifest it. You know, there's all kinds of studies about this, but I'll name just one. The Russians did a lot of these studies, and they had a lot, a lot of data. But one of the studies, they took basketball players, and they did three separate groups. And the first group was told to practice for an extra half an hour. The second group was told to pretend to practice. So they had to visualize practicing for an extra half an hour. After they finished practicing, they had to sit there imagining they were practicing. And the third group didn't do anything for that half an hour. They could do whatever they wanted. The first group, their game improved 25%. That's pretty cool. The second group, who imagined they were practicing, their game improved 24%. There was no difference in the third group. The mind cannot tell the difference between an imagined outcome and a real one. And why were the basketball players so good at imagining they were practicing? Because in basketball, you you throw the ball, you see it go in the air, and then you imagine it's going through the net. It doesn't even touch the rim. And what happens is it's easy to see that as a visual, and they had done it enough times that they could replicate it in their mind what it should look like. And so even without the throwing, the body would learn those pieces and fall in line with it. And what happens in a manifestation of a future event, you're telling the universe, this is where I am at. And, you know, people forget or people don't realize that we allow ourselves to live in multiple versions of the reality at the same time. We do it all the time. Every time we go to the movies or the theater, we live in the reality of the theater, plus we live in the reality of the life we live. If we um, watch TV with those picture-in-pictures where it's got two or three different uh, stations at the same time on one screen. One of my boys, when I went to his his, uh, uh, college house, they had a bench set up, and they had six TVs in a row. And each TV was tuned to a different station. And then there was the couch and all the chairs. Everybody was aimed at all six TVs. It was mind-boggling to me that they could watch all the six TVs at once, but they were doing it. So and quantum physics tells us that we can have more than one version of the reality. And it also tells us that it doesn't become real until it is observed. And I will say to you, it doesn't become real until it's witnessed. And the difference between observing and witnessing is there is a noticeable reaction in the observer that it occurred. And in a human, the way to get a noticeable reaction is to hear someone who loves you or you care about give you some kind of affidavit, affirmation that when you hear them say it to you, it's real. So that's one of the keys to the genie system. Um, So I hope that you will do that over and over. You're not going to have any trouble at all doing this one. It feels so solid to me. Yeah, then, Sir Phoenix. Well, I can see it. I can totally see it because I've been there before and I know what Pascal's Exactly. And that's what makes it easy, and that makes it easier in the long run to manifest. And it's just like, 
you know, you you figured out once we fooled around with it a little bit that you needed something that you could put your arms around and that you would put you'd be able to put your arms around in descriptive with your brother without saying a lot of words. Just like when I couldn't imagine the money that I would need, I then went to a cap and gown. And when I couldn't do that, then I went to the picture of the cap and gown and I talked to the picture. Um, there's lots of workarounds. You know, I've, I've, uh, I had a woman once who wanted to have a beautiful bar mitzvah for her son. And she and her husband went to different synagogues. So she was worried that, that she wouldn't be able to have a big party for him because maybe she wouldn't get enough people or she wouldn't get the right people. Who knows? And I said to her, well, how, how far off is this bar mitzvah? She says, two years. And I said, okay. So you're worried about it now, and that's a good thing. Let's use that worry and put it to work for you. I want you to think of a time that you've thrown a party that was successful. Well, she couldn't think of one. Well, you know, we kept going back in time, birthdays, family events, whatever. Nothing until we went back to her wedding. And the wedding was perfect. They had a huge crowd, the perfect band, the best wedding cake, the most gorgeous dress. Everything was perfect, including the weather. So I said to her, okay. So let's imagine that event. You remember how awesome it was and how happy it made you that everything turned out exactly as you had wanted. Now it's the day after the wedding. Take that feeling. It's now the day after the bar mitzvah. The same feeling. Everything has to go right. And that's how that's how we created the movie that way. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Absolutely, because it's very simple. Mm-hmm. So, so that's called <clears throat> replicating from favorable states. <clears throat> so the the woman had to um, she had to um, go to the favorable state of the day after her party, and then pretend that yesterday was the bar mitzvah. So then all that fear and worry just evaporated into that glow. Right. And then she worked her way backwards. Everything was perfect. Very fun. Very fun. And I tell people, you know, if you see, I don't know, somebody in the movies or something doing something that you would like to be able to do and you know they can do it in the movies but you can't right now, then you see yourself as if you were that star making all those moves, everything comes together. There are three elements to movie making in the genie system. The first element is that you have to pay attention to what I call 2D, 3D, and 4D. <clears throat> 2D is a, is a straight line. And believe it or not, the straight line is looking backwards in time. Because when you look forward in time, it's not a straight line. It's a fanned out approach you know when you look at let's say you're in high school and you're looking at colleges you're going to look at more than one usually so you've got a couple of choices that's fanning it out and then once you graduate from college if you decide to go on to an advanced degree it fans out again but when you look backward in time you only went to one college you only went to one high school so the backwards in time is the 2D or the linear equation. And there's lots of information about linear equations, but the easiest one that people know is Newton's second law, which is distance equals velocity times time, times time. And we all use that when we drive from point A to point B. 
if we take the distance times the time, we know the velocity. If we know the speed we're going, we can figure out how long it will take. And we all do the math pretty easily, especially if we're going at 60 miles an hour. It's, a, it's an easy thing to figure out. But when you chart it on a graph, a linear system always is a straight line. So if you increase your speed to 120 miles an hour, you're going to get there half in half time. But the line is still straight. Then there's a system that's called dynamic or nonlinear. A dynamic system is like a small rolling snowball causing an avalanche. And that's when small changes don't seem to impact the system. And then all of a sudden, like, as if like by magic, the system changes dramatically. And I'll give you a couple, another example. If you've ever played the game of pickup sticks, and that game of pickup sticks is where you hold a bunch of sticks, like chopsticks or little skewers, and you let them fall in every direction, and then you take turns with a group of people, each picking up a stick. And the game is set up so that each person picks up one stick, and if the pile moves, you're out of the game. So usually there's three or four people who pick up a stick all by themselves with no change to the system, no apparent change. And then one person picks up a stick and the pile moves. Now they're out. But the system changed each time each one of those people picked up, but it didn't look like it did because nothing moved. Another example of this, which is kind of comical, is if you were to hire a trainer and go meet him in the gym, he gives you this routine, you do what he says, and then he calls you at the end of the week and says, I'm getting ready to meet you tomorrow. I want to know how you're doing. Is everything going okay? And are you going to make our appointment tomorrow? And how are you feeling? And you say, I'm feeling like crap. Every part of me hurts. I have a headache. And uh, I put on two pounds. I don't think this is working at all. This is a really bad idea. I think I'll cancel tomorrow. And the guy will laugh at you and say, oh, don't be silly. You know, you're putting on muscle. That weighs more than fat. You're feeling like crap because, and you're headachey because you're detoxing. And your muscles hurt because they're getting a workout that they haven't had before. You know, this too will pass. And so this is all a bunch of what I call negative feedback in the system that keeps the system where you think it shouldn't be or in its, its present state. And then, boom, all of a sudden everything shifts and the system breaks free. In a dynamic system, small changes can create big effects. And the most well-known dynamic system is a system that they made a movie on called the butterfly effect. And the butterfly effect says, can a butterfly's flap of a wing in Moscow change the weather in Brazil tomorrow? And the answer is yes, it can. And it's based on the principle that was developed by the mathematician named Lorenz who did all kinds of research on data that he collected to create a weather prediction software. And what he began to realize is that data would come out the same as long as the data went in the same. One day he went out for a cup of coffee and the paper ran out of the printer. So he picked up the equation where it was, put fresh paper in, and kept on going, and the data was not the same. And when you're a researcher, you're trained to repeat the same process over and over to see if it 
continues to replicate each time the same outcome. And when he had this different outcome, he noticed it. Now, normally you either disregard an aberration or something in you says, hey, I need to pay attention. There's something here. And he paid attention and he did some research and realized when he picked up the equation midstream, he dropped off three digits in the millionth. So if you were imagining a number from you know, 0.08652 and it went out nine or ten digits and then you drop the last three off, if we were measuring a ribbon in inches or centimeters of that length, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference between those two. So you and I would look at that so there is no difference. And certainly he didn't think there was any difference, but there was. And that one little mistake taught him what he named the butterfly effect. The butterfly effect is important because it helps us get permission to believe in something, to believe in spite of the lack of evidence. Very cool. Very, very so, cool. It's, uh, yeah, it is very cool because it starts to get your brain out of your way because we're taught logic, we're taught cause and effect. But they've been teaching in you know higher, higher uh, education, quantum physics and all of that for 100 years, 100 years. When Max Planck wrote his theory on quantum physics, he was explaining a theory explaining an experiment that had occurred 100 years earlier by Thomas Young that no one had been able to figure out. And 20 years after he wrote that thesis, which was his graduate thesis, 20 years later he got the Nobel Prize for it. So from 1920 onward, science knew quantum physics. But I'm not that old. And they certainly did not teach that in my grade school or my high school or my college. And, you know, I got straight A's in science in college, so I should have gotten that, and I didn't. You know, quantum physics wasn't even discussed. When exactly, exactly. So people are becoming educated through the benefit of shows like this, through continuing ed in their trade associations, through the Internet, through books that are being written, and we have broken through the elitist kind of information that have kept the masses in captivity. And what will happen is as soon as people realize that there's nothing to hold them back, absolutely nothing to hold them back, Well, <laughs> my best case scenario is there's a whole bunch of people all over the planet going out, being happy, following their passion, doing what they're doing. Everything's getting done because there's enough of a diverse culture for people to, I mean, some guys really like being a garbage man, so they're, that's what they're going to do. Um, and so people are just going to be happy, and there's not going to be any more need for war or fighting or, or hate or any of that other stuff, because people are going to be wrapped up in their passion and following their dreams. And that's, mm -hmm. that's it. Mm -hmm. It's true. When we get wrapped up in our passion, we become so happy that we attract more 
of what makes us happy. Now, I will tell you, um, Rick, that one of the things that happened to me is the last corporate job I held, I absolutely loved. I loved it so much. And it was so much fun, and I made really good money at it. But I also loved the seminar work I was doing. And I did both for from 1994 till the end of 2000. So for six years, you know, I was pretty much working the midnight oil every single weekend. And, and in fact, you know, I had six weeks of vacation in that job, but I used every one of those vacation days as Fridays, leaving on Friday and coming home Sunday night so I could do a workshop and then go right back to the, the work job, work, work, pay job. And um, I got paid at seminars, but not enough to uh, necessarily cover what I was spending to do it. And over time, I began to realize that I was doing what I loved both on the weekends and on the weekdays. But I loved what I was doing on the weekends a little bit more. And I wasn't trying to love it a little more. I just loved it a little more. It was really my soul's happiness. And when I recognized that, when I owned it, I went to the altar and I made a contract and I said, I'm ready. I will let go of this corporate job. And I expect the universe to fill in the blank. And I, I teach people in the course and in the book, if you will remind yourself that you have a contract with the universe, and your contract with the universe says you will get paid and it says you will do your part and show up. So right now, Rick is doing his job and somebody else is paying him. But it won't take much for that to flip. Once he gets it, that the contract can be with the universe and it won't matter because when one door closes, another will open. And you don't have to go make it happen. The universe will just make it happen for you, which is just lovely. Just lovely. And so incredible to watch those synchronicities just fly by, and you're like, "Wow, that could how could that that couldn't really?" Exactly. And you know, the word synchronicity, you know, is is a term that was made up by um, a psychotherapist, Jung. And one of the things that I say in the book is that when you see the synchronicity, you know that you are on target with your goal. When I first decided I was going to you know, do this seminar, I made up my mind. I ran the Genie movie. The following month, I was at this national organization where I wanted to present. That was my goal. And so I you know, went about my business, and I ran into somebody that I hadn't seen in a while and kept trying to get together with her. It seemed important. Finally, we were able to set it up the day she was leaving and getting on a plane. She agreed to get up early. So I said to her, you know, look, um, I'm, I want to know what's going on with you. And so she tells me that she's leaving the industry and blah, blah, blah. And then I'm to tell her my story. Well, when I hear that she's leaving the industry, I'm sure I was a little bit relieved. And I felt comfortable completely bearing my soul and telling her, this is my dream. I want to present to this organization and be one of the, one of the speakers on this national meeting. And she said, well, Maureen you have to write a proposal and submit it to the staff so they can get it to the education committee. And like, uh, like a person might do in that circumstance, I said, I know, which I didn't. And then she said, but Maureen, 
the committee is going to meet in three weeks. You have to get it to the staff next week. That's the deadline for them to accept proposals. And I said, wow, I didn't know that. And then she said, and you know, I really like your idea about manifestation and teaching these fundraisers how to manifest. And I have been complaining that, that we have not had enough interpersonal type coursework for the actual fundraising uh, staffers. And I sit on the committee and it's my last meeting. And if you get that proposal written and accepted by the staff and it makes it to my committee, I will speak in favor of it. I only told one person. Very cool. Now, I presented, and my next Genie movie was that I would have 100 people, standing room only, and that they wouldn't leave. Now, if you've ever been to a national convention of any kind, those breakout sessions are like bar hopping. You know, you go into one, if you don't like the speaker or what they're talking about, you leave because there's three or four that you wanted to go to, and there's no way you can go to all of them. Right. And my goal was that I would be so riveting that no one would leave the room. We did that. We had standing room only, people coming in, more people kept coming in, and no one left. The following year, I was asked back, how many people do you want to seat in this one? Well, I had 100 in the last one. I better have 150 for this one. And I did the same genie movie, but I didn't work it like I had done the earlier one. I had a lot of family crisis. I was taking care of someone who was ill, and I was preoccupied with my life. And as the event approached, I became a little nervous because I didn't feel like I had put the effort I should have in. So now the day of the event occurs, and I'm in the uh, El Chipo Hotel because my little nonprofit doesn't have that much money. And so I'm the first one on the shuttle bus that you know works its way around the city picking up people towards the convention center. And I'm so nervous that I spread out my papers you know, to try and do a little cramming about my material before my presentation. And after a while, I look around and I realize this bus is full. Everyone's standing. So I pack up my stuff so I'm not being selfish and taking up both sides of my seat. And the lady gets on the bus, and even though there's people standing in the aisle, she works her way back to the only seat next to me, and says, may I sit here? And I said, of course. And then she looks at me in the eye, points her finger at me and said, I know you. You're the lady who made that presentation last year. You changed my life. And how That's cool was when that? I knew it was exactly right. Then I stopped being scared that I wouldn't be good enough in that moment. And also I got rid of that belief that said that was a fluke last year. I wasn't really on to something. This was real. Very cool. Nothing like a little confirmation. And that's what Rick was talking about. Those synchronicities that come along are God's way of showing you you have landed where you're supposed to. You've landed in a place that will move you towards the outcome you seek. And it is a a, a, a wonderful but but very palpable feeling. You you know exactly. it when it happens. Know it exactly. when it happens. And uh, we had a lot of those on our Costa Rica trip. Uh, 
that Gene and I took together, we just, I mean, one right after the other. Of, could you, did you see that? <laughs> you know, yeah, which is always awesome. <laughs> and, That's awesome. That's and, awesome. And uh, you're right. And, and the other person seeing it or experiencing it adds credibility. And it wouldn't matter if they didn't, but it means so much more that they did because then you know you didn't make it up. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And um, one of those pinch me so, things. So but one thing there. I'd like to talk about before we kind of end, and that's yeah, called the divinity we need to wrap test. Up. Yeah. And the divinity test is when God asks you if you believe in you as much as you do, as much as he does or she does. So the way that works is usually everything falls apart. Things have been going along smoothly and everything falls apart. And the question is, do you walk away or do you stay with it? Now, you don't want to be like Man of La Mancha chasing windmills. But at the same time, you do want to be able to persevere in diversity. And so I'll tell you a story about Frederick Smith, who's the founder of FedEx. And Frederick Smith had written a term paper in graduate school that got him a C+. And the professor wrote on the paper, this will never work. And, of course, he went on to found the organization we all know. And at a certain point in the progress, he had invested a lot of his own money. He invested money from the family. He had banks behind him. He had a lot of different uh, players. And they were at the place where they were completely tapped out, and there wasn't a single person behind them. And the banks were calling the notes for the planes. And if he made that payment, then he wouldn't be able to make payroll. And the accountant called him and said, we're out of money. On Thursday, everything's going to come to a halt. We won't be able to do, do it all. <clears throat> and Smith took $10,000 of his own money and took one of his planes to Las Vegas and gambled so he had enough to cover payroll so that they could do both. Now, even though I don't recommend gambling or any risky ventures, in that moment, he let go and took a risk because he didn't know what else he could do. And the universe supported his vision of this amazing corporation, which happens to be the largest employer in the world of people, because he believed in himself. And we do get those situations. I, I will never forget the time that I had five people cancel on a sacred journey. And I needed ten for the group to, to move forward. And I didn't know what I was going to do. And I went to bed that night and I prayed. And I said to the masters, the ascended masters that I prayed to, uh, I didn't think you'd, I'd ever have to file bankruptcy, but I think I might be bankrupt because I had already put out you know, all this money overseas. I had five different contractors, vendors overseas that I had put out close to $100,000 to you know, cover everything for this trip. And I wasn't going to be able to get that money back, so if the trip canceled, how could I refund everyone's money? Blah, blah, blah. But then I said, but if there's a solution to this, I need to know by tomorrow morning. And the following morning I was told what to do. And the trip moved forward. 
and I didn't go bankrupt. Isn't that amazing? So even when you think you're going to fail, fascinating. Yeah. all well, you have to do is let go and then claim your victory. Let go and then claim your victory. It's a very curious thing. Donald Trump says that he never makes a deal so, he never wants a deal so bad that he can't let go. That he has his point of this is what I'm willing to do. And if he can't get what he wants, he's willing to walk away. And that's part of what this is. It's the willingness to let go, even though it you're holding work. on to your outcome. Yeah. It does work because that's how we exactly. got our new Yeah. Didn't come until you let go of it. Yeah. We let In go the of it. way that you thought it would be. Mm-hmm. And then it fell, literally fell into our laps. Here you go. Very cool. Very cool. Very, very cool. All right, so we want to be sure. We've mentioned how to find Ina B. We want to be sure everybody knows how to find you um, because uh, this is fascinating work, and uh, it's, it's going to be a fascinating book. I mean, 20 years in the making. Uh, the the version that's finally out has got to be fantastic. <laughs> yes, it is. It's called Be a Genie. And for your listeners, I have an exclusive gift of a free download to make your year a good one. And they can find it at the Genie System, Genie System, just two words, geniesystem.com. And my name is Maureen St. Germain, and the book is called Be a Genie. And you can Google either one of those. You can go to Amazon and buy the book. You can buy it on my website. And uh, as Rick mentioned earlier, we do a lot of wonderful things on our website. It is my deep pleasure to be of service to each and every one of you. And I'd like to offer a closing thought. Whenever you have a moment where you're thinking, gosh, I hope it goes okay, whatever it is, if you will take a moment and ask for a day of heaven on earth for you and everyone you come in contact with, the energy will shift. And then I now expand it, everyone you come in contact with, and all my family and friends and everyone they come in contact with, and the whole earth. And pretty soon we're all having a heavenly day. And how cool is that, folks? How cool is that? <laughs> pass, the, pass the good vibes around. Uh, so the book is Be a Genie and uh, Maureen St. Germain easy to find. And we will also have links, of course, on the archive on our website. Uh, so jump by and give us a look at everydayconnection.me. Uh, just just that, everydayconnection.me. And uh, we have a newsletter to sign up. Stay in touch with us on what's coming. More awesome conversations like this uh, with very cool folks. And I want to thank you, Maureen, for finding the time to uh, share with us and sharing your time, talent, and treasure with the world. My pleasure. Thank you for doing what you do. We make a team here, you know. Absolutely. Co-creation at its best. Indeed. So I do hope that everybody will join us for our next show. But until then. To our mother, to each other, and especially to yourselves. Stay connected. Have a great now, everybody.
Join Jane and Rick again next time. Until then, visit their website at everydayconnection.me and subscribe for news and updates. Stop by their Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash everydayconnection and join the conversation. You can also subscribe on iTunes by searching for Everyday Connection Radio. Subscriptions are free, just like your Everyday Connection. a flow cooperative, bringing you the sounds of an awakening world. So you're ready to ask the biggest question of your life, the only question before that question. How do you find the perfect ring to ask it with? With the incredible selection of diamonds at Jared and our price match guarantee, you can dare to stop searching and find the perfect diamond at a price you'll love. Visit your local Jared store today and dare to be devoted. We promise to match any price on a like loose certified diamond of the same quality from any other jewelry retailer. See jared.com slash price match for details. So you're ready to ask the biggest question of your life. The only question before that question. How do you find the perfect ring to ask it with? With the incredible selection of diamonds at Jared and our price match guarantee, you can dare to stop searching and find the perfect diamond at a price you'll love. Visit your local Jared store today and dare to be devoted. We promise to match any price on a like loose certified diamond of the same quality from any other jewelry retailer. See jared.com slash price match for details.